I think we're live. I hope we're live. We look live. We look, you look live. I don't know if I look live, but you look live. You look great, sir. Welcome, everybody, uh, to CASA, hopefully live. Uh, welcome to CASA Live, everybody. Thanks for joining us. I see you all in chat, all you wonderful human beings. Thank you for being here. Let's kick it. Let's kick it right off, Alex. Hey, how are you? Doing all right. Great. <laughs> I, every time, every time we do one of these shows lately, uh, I see you always your standing desk. You always, you're always standing, and I have mine here. I bought one for the sole purpose of joining you in standing for these shows, and then now I just don't use it. But I do have a casa chair. Really? I mean, it's not like a legit casa chair, but it's, it's like a casa color, so it's my casa chair. So right. it still works. One of these days, though, I'm going to actually stand back up. Maybe I'm keeping we'll it brief because we have Jim on the show, and so I don't want to. I don't want to waste his time with a lot of a lot of banter. Although a lot of the banter, yeah, he gets real <laughs> mad at us for for our banter, especially at the end of the show when I ask everybody for their final thoughts. He's going to be. He's just going to get up and leave. So I guess I guess should we bring? We'll bring Jim in. <clears throat> yeah. There he is. Hey, how are you, Jim? I'm fine. <laughs> just keep it short logan i know i'm so sorry jim gets so mad at me because we just we just ramble on well, i like to know how people are doing jim what's that i like to know how people are doing i'm doing great okay you're not <laughs> out bird watching and what I'm was not. the other thing that jim does on this time on saturdays <laughs> maybe we won't we won't disclose it <laughs> Got to go up to Canada for it. I don't know what that would be. Yeah, we're not going to disclose it. We'll keep that information to ourselves. Anyway, I'm glad you're doing good, Jim. And uh, we also have one other special guest with us. Um, people, especially from the Twitterverse, will be very familiar with Allie. Hey, Allie Vance. Allison Bookner, how are you? Good. How are you guys doing? Good, good. So we've got some we've got some guests with us today. Kristen is not here with us today. I believe she has some some family things going on. She's got some events going on this weekend. So uh, I am going to be not only live amongst the panel, but also trying to run everything in the, the back end of the show as we do this as well. So if if things go awry, it is my fault and my fault entirely, everyone. And I apologize ahead of time, but uh, I think I've got it. I think I've got it pretty well figured out. I got like booted off of doing all of these things because I was real bad at it and it became Christian's, Kristen's job. So we're gonna see if uh, we're gonna see if I can pick up that that slack today. Anyways, if you screw up, we're turning it over to Ron. <laughs> we'll bring Doug. Let's get Doug to do it. We'll, well bring Doug. Doug would probably be great it. at it. Yeah, Doug would probably be excellent at this. We can get him on the panel too. We'll get him live. We'll get him doing the whole thing. All right. Well, without uh, without holding Jim up too much longer, Alex, are you ready for uh, are you ready for some legislation? Kick it. Kick it? All right, we're kicking it. All right, Alex, let us in on all the good, bad, ugly things that are happening right now that people need to keep their eyes and ears on right now. Cool. So uh, the first one, of course, is the national call to action that we've had up for, I guess, a few weeks now. Um, still ongoing, still waiting to see what kind of funding is going to go into this Build Back Better plan. 
Um, and so uh, don't need to go into the huge description here, but um, the, the call to action is up for uh, just a visual aid because everyone likes visual aids. Um, so uh, please, uh, it's still urgent that people make contact with your, your members of Congress and your senators um, and uh, urge them to oppose, I mean, specifically oppose this tax. Um, it, it's not enough to tell them that you're just opposed to the overall funding measures. Um, this, this, we need to make sure that they understand that this is uh, this, this, you know, doubling the cigarette tax and raising taxes on uh, smokeless and nicotine pouches by like two thousand percent is is absolutely outrageous and will lead to bigger problems. Um, the good news is, I was just just checking our uh, the back end of our engagement here. And the participation has doubled since last week. Nice. Um, last week we were about nine thousand people had sent messages. Now we're we're at eighteen five. Um, so that's uh, thanks everyone for participating. Yes, well done. And continue well done, spreading everyone. the word. Um, and and we'll you know we'll knock this out of the park. Uh, and of course we saw I think if anybody paying attention to the, the twitters um, probably saw uh, Amanda Wheeler was in D.C. this past week. Uh, and she met with uh, Senator Kirsten or Kirsten Cinema. Kirsten, uh, yeah, uh, I have. We have Kirsten Gillibrand. I always get those right. <clears throat> Never mind. Um, so anyway, uh, you know, we've got uh, we've got people on the ground in D.C. making the rounds and making the points, and um, you know, that in combination with everybody writing in, I think is 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 a good thing and moving things in a positive direction. So. Uh, keep up. I'd be curious to see if anybody took my terrible advice from the other week of sending out that uh, call to action to random phone numbers and how much that doubling of of engagement is from is from the random text messages that went out. I don't I have no way to track that. So <laughs> um, but if you did, if you did heed that call to promotion, uh, then uh, thanks, I guess. Yeah. Um, so uh, moving right along, let's see, I got to get this back up here. That's the right button. Um, we also just put out an alert, a call to action for Colorado, uh, specifically Denver. Um, Denver is uh, moving toward a, it's a public hearing. Uh, we're wait, we were waiting to see the agenda and the details come out. Um, so this is happening on Wednesday, October 6th. That's, that's this coming Wednesday. Uh, and all the details about signing up to speak. Uh, and, uh, of course, if you live in Denver, please send a message to your, uh, city council member, and you can do that through our site. Uh, it is a pre-written message, but as always, you are encouraged to include your story, personalize the message. If you don't like anything that we've written, you can delete the whole thing and put your own message in there. Just please be respectful. Um, but uh, so that is going on. Denver, Colorado, October 6th. This will be the first kind of hearing for this flavor ban ordinance. Um, and and yeah, that's what it is, a flavor ban. Uh Moving right along, I don't have an update for Michigan, but I suspect that this week will be the week we put something out. Uh, we do have a Michigan resident on the panel this evening, so um, maybe Jim can add a little insight there. I've been waiting for um, a specific email to make sure that everybody in the state can have their voices heard uh, with this uh, committee. Um, but uh, oh, I should get uh, Denver off the screen there. 
Um, so uh, be on the lookout for Michigan. Things are happening. Things are happening soon. Um, the next bits here are sort of in my legislative notes. Um, we have talked about um, Washington County, Oregon. Uh, this was a uh, um, an a local law that would be, well, I don't know if they call it a local law out there, but a county law that would um, restrict sales of vapor products to 21 plus establishments. Uh, but as things move through the process, what we also heard was that these types of ordinance ordinances have a tendency to morph into an all out ban. And that is apparently exactly what's happening in Washington County, Oregon. So this has changed from allowing adult only uh, establishments to carry flavored vapor products to let's just ban it all. Uh, and so uh, we will likely be putting something out about this next week. Um, I think I don't have the details totally in my head here, um, but there is another uh, hearing as this moves forward. Uh, okay, here we go. Uh, a motion to consider the ordinance further and have additional public comment at a meeting on October 19th past three to two. So October 19th is the target date. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, we'll be putting something up about that soon. Uh, the other thing is a, uh, a bit of a heads up for Indiana. This came across the newswire um, yesterday or the day before. <clears throat> if you live in Hamilton County, Indiana, um, there's going to be a, an event I don't know what to call it. Besides that, it's there's going to be speakers, uh, and uh, you will notice uh, you have Dorian Furman, co-founder of Parents Against Vaping e-Cigarettes, described uh, inaccurately as a national grassroots education and advocacy organization. I guess it doesn't matter if you're bankrolled by Michael Bloomberg; um, you can maintain your grassroots uh, designation. Um, but uh, this sounds like a pretty horrible event. Uh, you can, of course, check out additional information here at breatheeasyhamiltoncounty.com. There's a phone number and everything that you can also register to attend remotely on Eventbrite. Eventbrite will keep a link to this article in the, in the description. This is not something that's going to be on our blog post um, <clears throat> uh, as, 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 far, as far as I know. Um, but uh, if you are in Hamilton County, Indiana, um, you can check this out. You can participate. Uh, and um, good luck. <laughs> I guess it's going to be horrible. Uh, but the reason why uh, I'm, I'm highlighting this is that these types of events are usually a precursor for someone introducing legislation. Um, so this is your early, early warning in Hamilton County, Indiana. Yeah. And I think hopefully some some folks in the in Hamilton County. Hamilton County can uh, can hop in and, and participate and and crash the wedding, so to speak. Sure, I, I would recommend you know crashing politely. It, yeah, uh, it's course, it's always but... good to ask questions, um, and and I'm sure that there will be plenty of misinformation, which we'll get into um, some of those points as as we move forward today. Um, but yeah, always ask questions. Uh, people are going to be throwing numbers around and youth epidemic and this and that and 
you know, if, if you want to participate respectfully, um, you know, ask them some real questions, quote, quote the uh, National Youth Tobacco Survey or Monitoring the yeah. Future and ask them to explain how their description of the events differs wildly from what the data show. Um, so, yeah, all all valid ways to participate. Hamilton Absolutely. County is just north of Indianapolis, and there are a lot of um, vapors, long-term advocates in Indianapolis area. So we should get some participation. Cool. Yeah, hopefully. For sure. Yeah, we'll get an email out to folks in Hamilton County um, as things move forward. I should probably send this out anyway. So, yeah. Add that's, that to, your, uh, add that to your, your list of things to do. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Is that uh <clears throat> is that it? That should that should do it. All right. Well, moving swiftly along, so uh so we don't upset Jim. <laughs> it's just gonna be an ongoing joke, Jim. Is, is just that, know that I love you. Is that an example of you moving swiftly along? This, yeah, this is actually a really good example of how swiftly I can move. Are you ready? Swiftly. All right. Take three. So Allison is joining us today. Uh, We didn't give Allie any homework. Uh, Allie has no homework today, but she's still going to participate along with us for the take threes. We did, however, give Jim homework. So for everybody out there who's a big fan of, of reading Jim's work, you all get to listen and see him talk about it now. Should be quite a thrill. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. I'm um, excited. So <laughs> I think we we decided though that Jim Jim goes last, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'll yeah, that'll Jim work. Is going last. Jim, you have the you have the segue take. So wow. yeah. So yeah, you're the you're the main star of uh of the take threes today. No pressure, Jim. I believe in you. Alex, do you wanna do you wanna kick it off? Do you wanna start us out today? Sure, that works. Cool. So here we go. Um, <laughs> well, I figured I'd just leave this up the whole time um, so that people could have some actual context for the numbers that uh, came out this week from the National Youth Tobacco Survey. Um, and I, I, I don't, I don't have an, a specific article really to point to. And we, in, in the blog that will be posted later today, we just sort of say, um, you know, that things things are, are there, the, the information is there, um, new research, new, uh, new data from CDC tobacco free shows a continued decline in youth vaping, et cetera. Uh, the interesting thing here, you know, if, if you're looking on the, the graph, uh, we're at 11.3% of any young people using vapor products, which goes all the way back to 2016. So, uh, if you're one of these people who subscribes to the notion that we've been experiencing a youth epidemic of vaping, uh, then you can, I, I think, take some comfort in knowing that it's over, at, at least for, for this year. Um, if you subscribe to the, uh, the fact that this is simply a concerning uptick in use, um, then, you know, Maybe it's not as concerning anymore. I don't know. Um, but the, the really interesting thing about this story is, of course, how it's being portrayed in the media. Um, and I, I uh, grabbed a couple of Twitter exchanges here. I'm sure that, um, you know, folks who 
we we talk with pretty regularly have seen some of this stuff, but um, just in case you haven't, uh, Mark Gunther, uh, everybody's favorite writer about philanthropy and all things philanthropy, um, who also kind of cracked open um, the discussion about uh, Michael Bloomberg funding and, and other things uh, around the world, um, uh, called Truth Initiative out on their press release about the new numbers claiming that uh, 43.6% of high school kids are using e-cigarettes regularly. Uh, and this, of course, is, is something that we've talked about on the show all the time. Um, you know, I, I think when you get in the, the, the habit of talking in terms of like percentages of percentages of percentages, uh, it's, it's kind of hard to keep the lies straight at some point. And so, you know, if your default is to present present things in a way that misleads people or misrepresents the real issue, even when you're trying to be honest about things, uh, which is, I think I might be giving Truth Initiative a little bit more credit than they're due, um, you still can't help but make these typos. Uh, and so there's a little of this exchange between Mark Gunther and um, somebody named uh, Boot Bullwinkle, who is their comms director. Uh, no, that's not it. Anyway, I'm not going to give everybody vertigo here um, or uh, motion sickness. Um, and so this is this is sort of system wide in terms of the distribution, right? Truth Initiative puts out their press statement and then it gets picked up by all the major media outlets. We've got Jamie Ducharme from uh, Time. You may know her from her book, Big Vape, um, and, uh, and a forthcoming documentary on Netflix, possibly. Um, and uh, CNN, I think uh, Alex Norsha pointed out, he saw the same quote on CNN. Uh, and so, you know, this is, I, I think we've, we've talked about this a couple of times uh, in the past. You know, this is, this is not an accident. This is a strategy. This is intentional. If you set the narrative, even if you come back later, even if you come back five minutes later and try to make a correction or, you know, look like, oh, hey, guys, we just sort of made a mistake here. The narrative's already out there. It's the first thing that people hear is what they're likely to believe going forward, even when they receive an update. Um, and so, you know, misleading people about these numbers uh, is, I believe, quite intentional. Uh, and uh, yeah, so. Um, but the other thing here that Danielle has pointed out, and I'm pretty sure I'm going to screw this up, um, but uh, this this was the, the tweet that I showed here. Um, sorry, I'm not sharing my screen anymore. Um, and that doesn't highlight it. There we go. Uh, so, you know, the, the, the numbers are kind of shocking. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a pleasant surprise or a... Uh, I think maybe uh, folks are pretty reluctant to say, oh, victory, young people aren't vaping as much anymore. Um, some people are, some people aren't. Um, taking a, a cautious view here, uh, you know, we have to acknowledge that the pandemic and remote learning and, and people, you know, being isolated from their social groups certainly has some effect on access. Um, I think I had made a joke on Twitter about how, you know, if the CDC actually found out that, uh, you know, the remote learning was responsible for the decline in vaping, they'll probably make it mandatory going forward. Um, 
But uh, Danielle dug around in the monitoring the future uh, results uh, from back in June. And this is still data collected in the midst of the pandemic. And what monitoring the future found was that uh, youth use of cannabis and alcohol pretty much remained unchanged. It, it went up a little bit, but, you know, I guess nominally. Um, and, and yet uh, youth vaping went down. And so folks are sort of speculating about what could possibly be driving the declines in youth vaping. Some people have had have said tobacco 21. Um, I, I will say I've, you know, I've talked, I've been in a meeting with um, folks from tobacco companies discussing, you know, supporting tobacco 21 uh, and, you know, really kind of laying out the timeline of, of when we are likely to see, you know, returns, if you will, on that policy. And, you know, their thinking was this could take two to three years uh, in before we actually start seeing declines in vaping among young people under the age of 21. Uh, and that's it's a pretty you know, simple kind of explanation, whether or not it actually holds true. Uh, I, I don't know. But, you know, we can refer to Hawaii. Uh, New York City isn't the best example, but um, because there are something like 5,000 tobacco licenses or maybe 8,000 uh, or there were uh, in New York City. Uh, that's a lot of stores to inspect for an agency that's probably not funded all that well. Um uh, but compliance is a real issue in the first year. You can't count. You can't just, you know, enact a law and expect tomorrow morning everybody's going to wake up and and understand the law and be able to implement the law. So uh, the first year is is probably not going to see a lot of movement because of compliance issues. Uh, and then, you know, it's it's not something, you know, if, even when it does start taking effect in the population in the second year, you're not going to see the data until the third year. So. Tobacco 21 is not really a, a, a likely candidate for driving down youth use because it was just implemented this year. It's still 2021. When I was thinking through this, I was like, oh, my God, it's it, we're still in the same year. Um, Donald Trump still trying to process 2020 over here. Yeah, I'm still trying to remember if 2020 even happened. So. Um, so, yeah, T21, not a likely explanation here. Um, flavor bans, again, kind of like T21. Uh, there's a delay between implementation, between seeing a decline in, in youth use. Uh, and so the data doesn't necessarily show it. Um, but what we did see, uh, Abigail Friedman did the study on San Francisco uh, and showed that, you know, young people were, what was it, two to four times more likely to go back to smoking. Uh, smoking rates increased. Uh, and so uh, not necessarily a, a good uh, candidate for, for driving down youth use. So so immediately. Um, I think I, I'm, I'm sort of putting my money on the lung injuries and uh, in that, uh, you know, even in some of the commentary on the article that I uh, here have pulled up here um, suggests that uh, what may have had a, a, a well, <laughs> uh, the best strategy is likely to be one that combines approaches to limit supply of these substances with efforts to decrease demand through educational and public health campaigns. And this is an article, of, this is from the NIH talking about uh, the, the cannabis and alcohol use. Uh, and so even though all of the misinformation really can't be counted as an education campaign, 
for anything. Um, it, it is still information reaching young people and altering their perception of risk. Uh, and so I, I would I would put my money on misperceptions of risks uh, generated by the the lung injury cases uh, as as discouraging young people from using these products. That on top of the fact that now they are removed from their social groups. Um, I, the other thing is, you know, cannabis and alcohol use has been part of youth, the youth experience for like ever. I mean, yeah. I mean we, we could probably spend the rest of the show sitting here, you know, just chewing the fat about how we did this and that when we were teenagers and we were high or drunk. Um, yeah, even even when, uh, you know, legalization is introduced, uh, that cannabis use amongst youth doesn't really change a whole lot. There's kind of just a a set percentage of youth who who experiment with cannabis and experiment with alcohol. And that's just kind of it, it floats. Right. But it doesn't ultimately really we don't see massive ups and downs. Um, yeah, the it, thing that catches my eye about all this, it, it, when you talk about lung injuries being, you know, the driving force or, or maybe one of the possible driving forces behind this decline is that misinformation is driving a decline in the products that had nothing to do with those lung injuries and we're not seeing changes in products uh that that were associated with those lung injuries so this is a result of that that public health campaigning done so poorly yeah do you see specific numbers on cannabis vaping no i i don't know about that i think it's just cannabis in general right well, yeah, I don't know that NIH, I don't know that monitoring the future tees that out. How many people are using cartridges? Right. I, don't, I don't know if we even have that information or not. So, yeah, yeah I, I, I don't know. But, um, you know, it's a good question. And also, I mean, kind of speaks to, you know, maybe consumers, um, uh, you know, perceptions of, of the industry, the, the cannabis industry, and, and maybe relying a little bit on that self-regulation. And also this history of buying cannabis from not legitimate retailers uh, or not licensed retailers uh, and and just kind of trusting strangers that we meet to sell us pot. Um, but that kind of gets into what I, I wanted to kind of cap off my, my little conclusion here with is that, uh, you know, vaping hasn't really been around that long by comparison. And so it, it has not had enough time to become uh, you know, a, a cultural thing in, in the youth population, it is still pretty much just a fad. And so it, it does, those kind of underground connections, they're there. That's where kids are getting these products, but they're just not as strong as where you would go to, to get cannabis. Uh, and certainly, you know, mom and dad's liquor cabinet is where I think a lot of us got our first drink. Um, so, uh, you know, all of that to say, um, you know, I think there's a bunch of different reasons and, uh, kind of the theme here is it just doesn't seem like people are really investigating the, you know, the finer points and the nuances here as to what could really be driving the decline. Um, and, and I think the, the mistake is of course, jumping to conclusions and crediting some policy or some news story or right. whatever. Some policy that has barely had time to, to really show us anything. Yeah. So that's my take. I think I, I came close to 10 minutes there. <laughs> I mean, don't, don't you good. think that all those different components, all those different things 
played a small part in driving that. Sure, I would agree with that. Now. I think more often than not, it's never just one one thing that yeah. you know that that's the driving force. It's usually I, mean, I, I do believe that the number will increase again after kids are back in school together and going out socially more, sure. more than they did. And I think that vapors should be prepared for that. Yeah. So, I mean, I see a lot of people talking about it like, ah, oh, well, look at that. It just dropped off a cliff and now it's gone. Mm. Yeah. I, yeah. I I don't, we're not, we're not through this by a long shot. No, I don't think so. And yeah, Amelia Howard says youth tobacco use or youth nicotine use is endemic. It's, it's always around and the numbers always rise and fall and the products they use change. Yeah. But, you know, what, what was really interesting about that, uh, that report to me is that for the second year in a row, they didn't release preliminary smoking numbers. Very curious to see if smoking went up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because even if kids aren't meeting socially, I'll tell you what nicotine product is more likely to be lying around in their home, um, cigarettes. Mm -hmm. So if, if you're inclined to try smoking or vaping, you're more likely to try the thing that's easy to access. And if your parents smoke, that's going to be cigarettes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It'd be, it'd be awfully great if we could, you know, encourage parents to switch to safer alternatives, you know, it would so be. save the parents, thus saving the children. So another another thing is that the, uh, you know, the the daily use and the 20, 20 or more days a month use, um, those people those are people who are basically committed to the product. We know from multiple studies that most of those people smoked before they vaped. Um, I think that those are the people who are most likely to stick around and keep vaping when, you know, when it becomes hard to get a hold of and the people who are just like taking one hit off somebody else's vape at a party are just going to fall away because that's the fad. Right. But there is going to be some level of teenage use that, you know, adults are either going to have to accept like they obviously have with cannabis and alcohol or they're going to have to just carry on this endless panic forever and ever, which, you know, panics like that don't sustain themselves. And it wasn't too long ago, Alex, I don't, I don't remember how, what show or how recently it was. We, we kind of made a note about, um, you know, it's a relatively high percentage of, of people, adults at this point or whatever, who tried smoking at some point, in their life. And that was it, you know, tried it once as a, as a young person, wasn't for them, moved on, carried on with their lives. And then we, we, we look at that, you know, we go, Oh, okay. That's not a big deal. But when we put those numbers towards youth vaping, it seems like, you know, we like to, to blow up that highlight of how many, how many youth are, are vaping when it's, it's very, it's just that same experimentation, you know, yeah. youth try it at a party like Jim said, or, or wherever with their friends and, Oh yeah, that's cool. That was that was great, and they move I mean, on with their lives. So they're not interested. Any 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 drug of dependence, and I I don't necessarily include cannabis in that, but alcohol and nicotine. Um, almost everybody tries it as an adolescent. Very few people 
Uh, I mean, in some cases with alcohol, especially, they continue to use it. Very few use it in a problematic way. Sure. Yeah, that's, that's drugs in general. Always does. If nobody tried alcohol, there would be no alcoholics. Right. But everybody does. And so you wind up with, I don't know what the percentage is of people who drink that, that do it um, in a, you know, in a troublesome way. But um, I think it's probably like three, 5%, something like that. Yeah, I, I just I, I have it in my head and I, I feel like I've read this somewhere, but I have a problem with getting numbers mixed up a lot. So uh, I have anywhere from, you know, 15 to 20 percent like that's just that's oh, what really? we can expect from, you know, substance use. And I, I don't even want to I mean, if we want to talk about substance use disorder, then, yeah, I think that's a smaller number. But generally, yeah. just at the population level, I think it's it's fair to expect around 15 to 20 percent of people yeah, that's, that's, young people to you're, be you're trying that realm yeah. drugs and other things yeah i've always yeah. heard 80 to 90 percent of people who use drugs do so in a non-problematic way yeah right yeah and that's well, and, and, and we, the, you know it's the, it's the the 10 to 20 percent of people who do experience dependence have issues uh or move into uh you know the realm of addiction um but th- that's that's the group that we focus so heavily on and that we, you know, we portray uh, when we talk about drugs. We don't talk about the the people who, you know, once a month on the weekend, they go to a party and use cocaine. You know, we don't talk about those folks because that's not newsworthy. That doesn't, right. uh, you and, know. And those drugs like cocaine and heroin, which people think of as hard drugs, um, are the ones where you know, forever and ever, it's been, you know, portrayed as you try it once and you're hooked for life. Which is just false. There's, there's no drug that there's no drug. like It's that. not the way it's not the way that drugs and dependence and, and addiction. And the work. fact is most people who use those drugs use them in a way that disturbs the, the fabric of their life. Yeah. Um, I, I will so throw. Sorry, I, I just want to throw one plug in here for a book that I read that has some some good information in it. Um, it's called Outgrowing Addiction by Stanton Peel and Zach Rhodes. Um, one of the things that they talk about is, of course, outgrowing addiction and what are the chances of young people outgrowing substance use. Uh, and out of, you know, like heroin, cocaine, uh, methamphetamine and nicotine, Nicotine comes in about like 83, 85%. You have an 83, 85% chance of outgrowing any nicotine use, like before, by the time you get into college. Um, and so uh, this is all sort of part of, of rethinking, uh, you know, addiction, substance use disorder and, and, and treatment and so on. Uh, and of course, educating young people about these uh, substances. Um, I mean, when you get into like heroin and cocaine, it's like, you know, low 90%. Um, obviously, uh, I think that, you know, it's a little bit stronger effect, a little harder to get, um, you need a little bit more planning. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just wanted to, I, I brought that up, I think on a couple of other episodes and, and figured it's worth repeating since we're having the conversation now. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, uh, I suppose, uh, we will move into my take this week, which I'm not going to spend a lot of time on. Uh, I'm going to blame Jim for the majority of that spiel that we went down. 
telling me that I need to I need to hustle things along. You, you just blew two minutes. That you <laughs> I know mine's mine's fairly short and and sweet this week though. So um, so we'll just get right into this. This is an article from the Baltimore Sun. Uh, here we go. Raising cigarette tax will further stress relationship between police, vulnerable communities. Uh, this is from Sonia Pruitt. I hope I got that right, Sonia, uh, who is a former police captain in the Montgomery Police Department, uh, who says, I can say without hesitation that increasing taxes on these products will contribute to the already stressed relationship police have with our most vulnerable vulnerable communities um, and that Maryland's congressional delegation should oppose this measure. So this is, again, uh, highlighting the federal nicotine tax that Alex talked about at the the top of the hour here uh, that we have our call to action out for. Um, this article really just lays it out, uh, from, uh, you know, race and class, uh, issues involved here to, uh, the tax itself on, uh, Maryland residents, uh, their, um, their funding in Maryland as well. Uh, there's a lot of really good points here. Alex pointed out to me before we started the show to Maryland, I believe Maryland, right? Specifically. Montgomery County, Montgomery County specifically, um, already has a 40, 40% 40%. nicotine. Is that an excise tax? Wholesale tax. Wholesale tax. Uh, so obviously this would, this would go on top of that as well. So, um, I don't want to spend too much time on it. Uh, they do highlight here. We, we highlighted and Kassab put out a, a press release, uh, during the ocean city incident, uh, on the boardwalk for using an e-cigarette where a young, young, uh, black man was tased and hogtied and thrown in the back of a police car, um, which was just absolutely appalling to see, uh, which is again, why we put out a press release on it and which is something we, we don't want to see in the future, but these these taxes, these measures, this legislation, things like this increase those tensions uh, and give more power to law enforcement uh, to do what law enforcement does. I made a promise before the show I wouldn't say too much <laughs> on my my overall thoughts there. But um, but yeah, this is a great article. This comes from somebody who has uh, obvious experience uh, in this field uh, in law enforcement and how these interactions can go. Uh, and is urging lawmakers to do everything possible to remove this massive tax increase from the budget reconciliation bill and avoid harmful consequences of these tax hikes, um, like unnecessary uh, interaction with law enforcement, uh, illicit markets, safety concerns, race class issues here. So, yeah, uh, my, my take is I'm in agreement fully. Uh, that's, that's really my take. Uh, this is just a, it's a great article. Uh, Sonia really breaks down kind of everything bit by bit here uh, and, and highlights unfortunate consequences like uh, like what happened with Eric Garner um, as well. So this is a great article. Um, this is going to be uh, do we have a blog post this week? We do. Uh, when Kristen uh, gets when back, Kristen I think she back. has some time. Some time I'm going to go ahead in. right now uh, and I'm just going to drop this in chat for everyone uh, to go ahead and give this a read and share it around as well. But once Kristen gets back and, and puts our, our blog together for the week, it will be available there as well. And you'll be able to find it in the descriptions and, and everything else uh, as well to this and, and to the podcast later on. Does anybody else have any, have any input on 
on I, this I one think from the ball. Most, so. most of the public um, discussion about this revolves around the cigarette tax. Yeah. And the vapors need to be aware that you don't have to be, you don't have to defend cigarettes to oppose this tax. This tax, in addition to doubling the federal tax on cigarettes, creates a new tax on all nicotine products, including vapor products, that is going to yeah. increase the price Mokeless, of snooze, by all three, of four, five times. Yeah. And if you want to see uh, a breakdown of that on vapor products, uh, we have a handy chart on that call to action. I think Alex Alex look like looks like he's digging it up right now. Um, so people, if if you haven't been tuning in or if you've missed this or you haven't done the call to action, you haven't seen this, and you're curious as to what that tax looks like on vapor products and how astronomical and absurd uh, that tax is, uh, Alex has some of it right here. Um, and we've Kassaz broken all of this down. So there it is. Yeah. So the way this works, guys, this is not a bill on its own. No, it's, this is a this is part of being inserted in the spending bill. Yeah. And this spending bill is going to pass just with Democratic votes. So it, it's it's a reconciliation bill, and in the in the in the process of budget reconciliation. It can pass the Senate with 51 votes. Doesn't need 60 like you would in what they call regular order, where there's a filibuster. Right. Um, so we have to keep this out of the bill. It's not a matter of asking people to vote against the bill. Nobody's voting against it. No doubt. Right. The bill has to pass. The bill this has is a matter to of this not being included in the bill. It's similar, like uh, for folks like Alex and I, or or other folks here in New York. Uh, who are dealing with still the, the flavor ban here. That was part of New York's budget bill. It wasn't a, a standalone bill that passed. Uh, that flavor ban went through with a the must-pass budget bill. This is something very similar the, to the that. The vape mail ban last December was also included yep. in a spending bill. That yeah. had it had to pass. The president has to sign it. It's just going to pass. We have to keep this language out of the bill. Right. So you're asking your representatives and your senator and your representative and your senators to oppose the inclusion of this language in the bill. And yeah. if you're not asking them, please ask them. <laughs> because yeah. This thing has to go. Yeah. Yeah. It has to be removed. Absolutely. So that's uh that is my take uh, for this week. I hope that I spared Jim enough time for his Jim. What do you have? for us? Oh, Oh, you want me to talk now? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. No, yeah. By all means. So I was Lord I was George. going to talk a little bit about the Turning Point Brands lawsuit against the FDA. Um, you may all know I wrote an article back on the twenty third about um, about Turning Point Brands suing the FDA, challenging their market denial orders for flavored products, um, and then. Yesterday, this, by the way, is in the 6th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, which is in Cincinnati, Ohio, but Turning Point Brands is in Kentucky, and the 6th Circuit covers Kentucky, Tennessee, Ohio, and Michigan. Um, what, they're, what they're doing is asking the court to vacate or modify the FDA order, and it asks that Turning Point be allowed to continue to market their product 
while the case is being decided. Yesterday, or was it yesterday? Uh, I think so. Two days, two days ago, <clears throat> they filed a motion to do two things. They asked for a stay from the court of the court of the FDA order while the case is being decided. And they asked if a stay wasn't issued to at least expedite the case so it would be heard rapidly. Um, in that, uh, it's called a, an emergency petition for review of the, of the marketing denial order. It's really, really worth reading. Can you guys drop that link into the chat? Yep, I can get it. Okay. Um, this is the, uh, your, your second article. Oh, wait, well, no. You this can is... drop my article in there too, if you want. I see. It. It's a, it's a Google drive link, right? Yes. Uh, this shared is the by, stay, or uh, stay request or, or I don't know how you yeah, say that. I just put two things in the notes. So it's, ah, yeah, it's the, it's the, it's called. I got it. On petition for review of a final. No, emergency motion for a stay, yeah. <clears throat> when you read this, if you if you sort of like um, page six of the thing, I think it was page six, it's a really good um, history of the FDA's actions after the deeming rule went into effect. The FDA laid out certain uh, requirements to file a PMTA and they had certain dates you had to do it by and they kept changing everything um it really spells out all the all the stuff the fda did and then you know with the trick ending here is that the market denial order denies the um, flavored products pmtas on the same basis that the FDA said would be acceptable to submit. So they told Turning Point specifically in a, in a letter to Turning Point a couple years ago that they would not have to submit long-term studies showing, um, well, all the different components that they need to show, but they wouldn't have to submit long-term studies that they could do these other kinds of studies instead, which Turning Point did. Um, and the FDA just ignored them. They, um, they did some other stuff too that was really interesting to read about. So Turning Point makes um, e-liquid under several different names, uh, Solace e-liquid, Vapor Shark, and Vapor Phi among them. The FDA denied PMTAs for some tobacco products, tobacco flavored e-liquids under one brand, and then allowed other tobacco flavored products under the other brand to continue under review. Those products have the exact same chemical makeup. They're the same products with different names. And the FDA denied some of them and allowed some of them to continue in the process. Um, I think that's a really good ground for, for throwing out the MDOs. Uh, 
you know, I'm not a lawyer by any means. The other thing if any of that, I'm just pure speculation or, or first thought here is, is the branding or things like that. Um, difference were, in that if, if that has anything to do with well, it, I'm those, just trying to... those, they didn't give those criteria in their denial. Right. So the denials themselves are really like cookie cutter documents. And right. Not just to Turning Point, but to all the companies. They're, they're really just like copying, pasting stuff mm-hmm. with then yeah. a few references to the specific products thrown in there. Um, so it's like FDA has a template with a few fill in the blanks. That's for, right. And the, for in the, for in the this template, product or company name insert they're here. Asking, they're asking the companies for product specific evidence that they're that their products will help adult smokers more than they risk the health of youth who begin vaping. Um, the, the response from the FDA is all very general. There's nothing specific about the products being reviewed at all because they didn't review them. They just copied and pasted the stuff. Um, and then the Office of Science rubber stamped these denials. <laughs> they went from the branch office of the FDA that did the review to the Office of Science and got approved within an hour. Um, you know, an hour isn't enough time to review a scientific document. And so basically, they just weren't doing their job on this. They had their mind made off. It even says in the rejection that they're they just don't have the ability at this time to explain all the reasons why it failed. Yeah. So if you can't explain why it failed, right? How, how, what right do you have to fail it in the first place? Well, I mean the well, fact that I got I mean I know they have the, the legal yeah. right to do you know right whatever they want, but the fact that we got the exact same the exact same denial as Turning Point, which spent what twelve to seventeen million dollars. Twelve million. No offense, but I've filed the PMTA for us. So like the fact that it's the same denial shows that, and I've seen a lot of other people's denials, which are identical. It's that it was just, they're just sending out denials. There's no actual work put into this. Yeah. Right. So it seems really clear. And this, this uh, legal document is very, very well done. They just keep hammering this stuff over and over. It's really, it's really mm-hmm. good. And I, I just can't imagine a court saying, no, this is a, a reasonable way to conduct scientific review of products by a scientific agency. Yeah. It seems very clear that political decisions drove this whole process. Sure. Right. So right. I would I recommend think... reading that document, though. It's very interesting. And also read my article. <laughs> of course. <laughs> All right. Is that, uh, is that, does that wrap up your take today? That's my take three. That's no, that's just your take. Well, I was, you have, do you have two more, Jim? You got two more for us? Hey, (laughs) all right. Well, that is, uh, that is going to segue us into this week's we're diving deep. Diving deep, uh, and this this whole discussion here uh, is is really kind of the the reason why Allie is with us today. 
uh, to kind of dive a little deeper into these MDOs, um, what FDA is doing, uh, because you have a lot of experience with PMTAs. Um, I don't know if I, if I can explain what the FDA is doing. That's a lot of pressure. Yeah, no, okay. well, we won't put that on you. I don't even know if I don't know if anybody can really. No one knows. I don't think they know. They, they we'll do. try to get Janet on. We'll try to get Dr. Woodcock on Good to, luck uh, with that. <laughs> to see if she can explain what FDA is doing right now. But um, but yeah, yeah, MDOs. Yeah. So your experience with this. Allie. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Let's relive Let, this. Let's, right let's, let's break down. Yeah. Break it down this for us. This is a safe space. You, yeah. You can, no, for sure. You can relive um, it. We'll be there. Yeah. Yes. And there's um, definitely some things, uh, you know, full disclosure, right? That you can't, you can't put out right. there into the world. For sure. Um, for sure. So yeah. we'll, uh, if there's any questions or things like that, that come up in chat, uh, and you you can't disclose it. Just just let us know, and and we'll move right on to something else. So okay. Um, well, I guess everybody here knows. I just said it earlier. I filed PMTAs um, for my company. Everything but the scientific studies, which I was waiting to hear back from um, the Office of Science, and also waiting to have a lab available. Um, just because we had COVID, there was no availability to have a lab available to do our testing. Um, and it says in the PMT, you have to have a meeting with the Office of Science before you're allowed to do anything with testing. Okay, so we had a date, we got our letter, we got our acceptance letter, we got our filing letter, and then the scientific review, I believe, letter. Um, and so we had a lab, everything was sent to the lab. We had the lab person ready to contact the Office of Science and set up make sure they approved the way we were doing the testing and we were gonna move forward. And literally a day after our samples arrived at the lab, we received our MDL. <laughs> so um, that was unfortunate for us. Um, decided obviously not to move forward with testing and now we're trying to figure out, which I'm sure a lot of other people are, what do we do next? Um, right. Obviously we have 30 days to make an appeal. Um, definitely wanna file for you know Freedom of Information Act um because we want to know why you know specifically we got these denials um there was no issues we never received any deficiency letters anything that we had to correct so you know we were thinking maybe we might make it you know i mean i just kind of thought 50 50 shot when we filed but it's better than not filing so we just kind of waited around for it and then um and then the fda just basically you know kind of i don't know i just kind of came out and right across the board, MDOs. And, you know, I do volunteer a lot of my time with the USVA. Um, we are collecting MDOs and we noticed that a lot of these MDOs are identical. And that's when it kind of started making sense that there was no real thought put into any of this because a lot of these, these PMTAs were very, very different. Um, and just a blanket response with no detail whatsoever, not to mention the fact that our menthols and our tobaccos and all of our zeros got denied, which, Right. We were just like, right. well, we thought these were okay. So I think it got to a point with maybe there was a little bit more detail put into these bigger companies because maybe they thought they had a chance that they could come back, but we just got it flat out. Every single thing we filed was denied. Wow. So, yeah. So we're so, in the midst of filing, you know, for the appeal and, and hopefully, you know, seeing 
I think that the more people that file these lawsuits, the better. It's definitely going to get some attention for sure. Yeah. That's, uh, I meant to mention that other companies are filing suits too. Yes. Yeah. I think Demand Vape just filed. Um, I know I there's heard, a co-packer. Yeah. You know, Biddy, Biddy Vapor. Yeah, Biddy, yep. Um, I've heard demand. I've heard avail and biddy, uh, like B I D I, right? Biddy, yeah, okay. Like like the Indian cigarettes, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, and also, you know, we've heard heard of a company um, having a visit from the FDA and and kind of being presented with an affidavit to sign. Um, Upon further review of that affidavit, which they weren't given options to even let a lawyer review the affidavit, it was on a computer screen with a request for a digital copy. Um, the attitude was kind of, well, call your lawyer, we can read it over the phone to him now, which is not how that works. Um, you know, and clearly in it, it stated that it was that we were not or that they were not, you know, going to be manufacturing any ends or distributing any products whatsoever, which means third-party parts and i mean and i would think moving forward synthetic even though they don't have any rights over it i think that that we can all assume that eventually that would maybe be the case and maybe that could also come back around at that time yeah it wasn't too long ago that we we discussed uh synthetic and tfn mm -hmm. uh here kind of just being uh you know a kicking of the kicking the metaphorical can or whatever on the road uh, for a lot of companies kind of just because FDA doesn't currently have jurisdiction over synthetic and TFN doesn't mean that in some form or fashion, uh, whether it becomes a nicotine or excuse me, becomes a tobacco product or becomes a, a medical product um, that they will yeah. most likely eventually have that. So definitely want to get that advice out to everybody. Do not sign anything, have a lawyer look it over. A lot of these groups, whether it be USVA, AVM, I know they have lawyers give a call, see if somebody can look it over. Just don't. Most people are really <laughs> willing to help anyone out. So just don't sign anything. <laughs> right. Have you heard of people signing and then finding out later? Whoops. Well, the response from the FDA agent that was trying to you know, acquire the signature when it was refused was, well, no one, I don't blame you, no one signs it. So I have to assume that she's run into this before. Yeah. But this instance was, you know, manufacturer, you know, got, you know, got a surprise. Well, they got a call and then got a visit the following day, but the lab was closed already, you know, in transition to start making synthetic nicotine products. Um, MDO was, you know, received, so halted, you know, production on these items. And that was the, the way that it was presented the next day was if you sign this, then you're just agreeing that you're not making these products anymore. But then when you actually looked at the document, that's not what it said at all. So yeah, yeah pretty shocking when you think you can't be shocked anymore by the action. So FDA denying, <laughs> you know, arbitrarily denying uh, PMTAs mm -hmm. and then sending someone out, uh, with an affidavit with some fine print in there, you know, hoping that someone will sign it and ultimately stating we won't manufacture or distribute any, any, any uh, ends products. Yep. It's wow. So, that's such a weird thing because the FDA is usually so, you know, as far as, uh, legal documents and stuff, they call you, then they email you, then they send you a hard copy and, 
Yeah, it was it was we requested it. I'm sorry, oh, yeah, requested it several, several times. Uh, that was the, um, you know, the lawyer's recommendation that I am affiliated with. And it's just mind blowing. And there was a generalized statement put out by the lawyer in the USVA group. If you're on there on Facebook, just basically warning everyone, because that's what's scary. If you don't think, let's call a lawyer before we sign anything or let's get it to our lawyer before we sign anything. And then you, you know, for that to be in there when you finally look at it and then just have a flat out refusal that you cannot, all you can read it to him over the phone. Yeah, that's wild. Mm -hmm. That's not how that works. Not at all. So, so apparently when, uh, when FDA put out the call to hire a bunch of inspectors and all of these people, they, they received some sort of high pressure selling training in order to dupe people in the signing. Yeah, and a, and a tablet with this document on it or whatever to go around and yeah, here, here's your sure. stylus, sign here, everything's going to be okay, no worries. Yeah, and the fact that you think that you could call a lawyer and read that kind of a document and they would just have a, 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 an explanation <laughs> or a response yeah, we'll immediately, <laughs> it means you've never talked to a lawyer before. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. a lawyer I, would, I would want to sit down with a hard copy of this and go through it with a fine-tooth comb. Uh, and that that takes time. That's not something that happens. Right. You, know, you want to make sure that middle of the day on a Tuesday yeah. or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. over the phone. Yeah. 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 I'm curious. Um, well, I guess it's really just a matter of speculation. If anybody has signed this thing, they should still call a lawyer about it um, mm -hmm. and discuss it. And yeah. somebody needs to get a copy of it from the FDA. And if they won't give it to you, then mm -hmm. I don't know what, but I mean. No, they would not. And and I honestly, when I heard this, that was, I got jumped right on the, you know, PMTA sharing group and, and put it out there. I'm like, I need to let every single person know about this immediately because I don't want somebody signing their life away, you know, and not even realizing that they've done that. I'm trying yeah. to picture the FDA going into uh, <clears throat> an RJ Reynolds factory and I don't even know if they would try it. <laughs> yeah, it kind of I, mean, like I, I definitely FDA. think the FDA underestimates small vape a lot, a lot of the time. Sure, yeah. and that's that's where they're uh, that's where they're just trying to pick people off, uh, targeting the little guy. <laughs> FDA yeah. walking into an RJ Reynolds facility with a a tablet and a, a style. Hey, will somebody sign this? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I can't imagine that going over very well. Uh, yeah, the only the only time that a copy was offered was when it was signed. Wow. Yeah. So sign first and then we'll give you your copy with your signature on it. So you can then let your lawyer look at it and he can tell you the bad news that you just signed something that you shouldn't have signed. Wow. Um, yeah. So just in case anybody else out there, you know, is really holding out hope for how where the ethics are at FDA around all of this right now. Mm hmm. <laughs> maybe not so great yeah this definitely feels i don't think that the, i don't really have any hope with them but now i really just feel like it's just a completely different kind of attitude you know i think that just a blanket ban feels, and not really i don't have a better it. word for it but it feels predatory yeah i think is the word that i want to lean into here uh okay. just towards whatever uh small you know, naive, um, not not prepared for this uh, shops and manufacturers are, you know, out there and 
Mm-hmm. I mean, you still here today. Uh, you know, there's certain times I'll catch on Twitter a, a shop owner or, or something that is like, wait, what is happening? And you're like, wait, how do you not know? It's, it, it's those folks that I worry about the most. It happens who are, a lot who more still, than, than you know, uninformed and unaware of what's going on. Yeah. And having an FDA, you know, somebody from the FDA walking in with something like this and then basically, like you said, signing their their livelihoods away without even really realizing. Yeah, I literally had like a full on panic attack. I was like, I need to get this information out. As soon as, <laughs> yeah. Why is no one approving my post in this group? <laughs> Everyone needs to see it. <laughs> Wake up, mods. Come on. Need to get this out there. Logan, I think that's more uh, the rule than the exception. So, you know, the people who in small vaping manufacturers and retailers who really drive the whole advocacy and activism part of it. It's just a tiny number. Of oh, people. sure. I mean, a lot of people don't have the time to, to know what's going on because they're running a business and they're and they're doing it, you know, with maybe not probably not enough help most of the time. Yeah. That's and that's like right. you said, Jim, that's I mean, that's that's advocacy. And that's when I think of the majority of advocates that I know, um, out there, they're on Twitter and a lot of folks, uh, you know, a lot of open system users, things like this. When you talk about the the millions of e-cigarette users in the United States, the vast majority of folks are just everyday people who, yeah. you know, bought a Views or a Jewel or an Enjoy or something and they quit smoking and that's great and they live their lives and they have no idea any of this is even happening. That's the overwhelming majority we quit, we quit in shipping in March and I get calls still to this day. Why can't mm-hmm. I order anything from your website? And I'm like, well, it's astronomically impossible for us to pay all these states, all these fees and, and get all these things together to be able to continue to provide this for you. And it's, it's heartbreaking, but it, but yeah, that's, I mean, that's that, that right there for anybody wondering is why CASA exists and why we constantly tell people, please share, uh, please share everything that we put out. Please just talk about CASA. I mean, every chance that I have just the yeah. other day, uh, I was in my local uh, 7-Eleven buying uh, a pack of, I'll just, a pack of pods off the wall because I use them from time to time at work. And um, you know, the person behind the counter had, had made a comment about, uh, uh, tobacco and, and how costly it is and whatever. And I had kind of chimed up about, um, you know, I, I wish more people would switch over to these products and we had a, a, a brief exchange and, and I said, you know, if you're curious and you want to learn more about this, you should head over to casa.org, head over to casaa.org. And, and she's like, really, what's that? And I said, well, why don't you, you know, just head over there on your break or whatever, click it up on your phone and, and you'll find out a lot more than you were prepared for. And mm-hmm. so I encourage everybody, like those little opportunities to just to, to drop some knowledge or drop a, a resource to somebody, uh, even in a simple exchange at a gas station. Um, yeah. because the more people that know, the better, you know, whether yeah. they're, we send out a newsletter weekly and we put all the links to all, all of the stuff and we add all the articles and, and then that's the same people that call me and ask me why they can't order online. And I'm like, Oh, we got to make the headline scarier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, just be more yeah. I gotta work. I gotta work on these titles to these streams and just make them super clickbaity. Yeah. Logan, yeah. just to expand on that a little more. Even in the open system space, most vapors don't know what's going mm. on. So oh, yeah, absolutely. Most, like the, the most, segment of advocates within that space yeah. is even. Most well, that's who we cater to and they don't know. Yeah, that's right. And Allie can probably bear this out for me. I, I'm going to venture that most vapors, the vast majority 
of vapors who buy in vape shops go to the same vape shop they started vaping at. They buy mm -hmm. the same liquid that they started with, or maybe yes. a different one. I don't know. Yeah. But they they aren't experimenting a lot. They aren't buying a lot of like flashy brands that get a lot of press. No. They aren't reading Vaping 360. They don't know what Kasai is. Right. Mm -hmm. Most vapors don't even know they're vapors. Right. Yeah, and most people don't like change. That's why they smoke the same cigarettes for 30 years. They they don't want to change anything. So when they move out of South Carolina, let's say to Florida, and they've been ordering online for us for six years and they can't get their one liquid, like to me, I don't really see much hope for them not going back and getting their cigarette that they were used to before because now they can't get the sure. one liquid that they thought was okay That's to right. vape. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. And, and yeah. most of the vape shops that have like, a house line of e-liquid or they make it on site whatever yep that they yeah. sell and that's what most of their their customers use yes. and now those customers if that shop closes now those customers are just turned loose in the world with no knowledge of what's out there yeah yeah and no yeah. Um, you know they're like, why would you do this to us? And I'm like, it wasn't us, I promise. <laughs> we really did not want to do this when it was shut yeah. down our online business. <laughs> but yeah, it's just and not then a lot of the, those same folks. Uh, if you know this 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 budget uh, proposal mm -hmm. goes through with this tax, those yeah. same folks are going to walk in, and the cost of their e-liquid is going to go up dramatically. Uh, if, they, if they were teetering on, you know, whether or not to continue, maybe they can't get their liquid. Otherwise, it starts to become too much of a hassle. And now this new tax kicks in on top of that. Again, yeah. how many how many people are just going to go back to smoking? And, right. and I do want to underscore for anybody out there thinking that that synthetic is a loophole to the tax. It's not. It's included. Right. And it I is included. Make sure that yeah. we've made that clear in our call to action and yeah. just reiterate that here. This is yeah. anything that is nicotine is going to be included yeah. in this tax. The only loophole for this tax is a black market. And a re I mean, a serious black market, not a gray market. Yeah. 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 And I know I say, you know, and I, I, I could DIY. I know a lot of people can DIY, but I definitely know that like the 75-year-old man that I hooked up with his first starter kit that's still vaping that same tobacco flavor, you know, the one guy that buys the tobacco flavor in our shop is not going to go home and mix his own liquid up. And that's, that's sure. even scarier yeah. because... You know, that's either cigarettes or getting and at this point, you know, know is reliable. Yeah. If that tax goes through, I mean, even DIY in and of itself. Right. Because uh, it's is, the is, tax on the nicotine. Yeah. I mean, like Jim said, you're looking at straight black market nicotine yeah. uh, across the board because I already know a number of places are no longer um, even selling nicotine in bulk uh, right now. Mm -hmm. um, and if that goes through, Alex, what was that on the. I know you're, yeah, you're going to pull it up one more time. Yeah. Uh, right here, this bottom one, 1,000 milliliters of 100 milligram. Just the tax alone on that, $5,560. That's just the tax. That's a, that's a liter of the most common DIY yeah, that's formula. And yeah. that typically that bottle, if you go and buy it online until this year, costs between $50 and $100. Yeah, I I've got a vacation in my freezer right yeah, now. So do I. I have I bought a freezer. <laughs> like I'm going to Cancun, baby. You know, uh, yeah. this so is you uh, guys. If, if I die in the next five years, 
you want to be sure to come and get some nicotine. Yeah, I'm <laughs> headed right for your freezer. I just got a cross layer. And so two more things about nicotine for DIY. <clears throat> One, you're not supposed to ship that through USPS, even before before they come out with their ban, whenever that is, USPS doesn't carry nicotine. Now I know right. one company that is shipping nicotine by USPS, but anyway. And so if FedEx and and uh, and uh, UPS don't ship it, which they're not, and USPS does, you know, it's hard to get nicotine right now. Yeah. So what's going to happen when all this stuff kicks in and if that tax passes, you're going to see, you know, see, now I, I get in arguments with people about this. I don't believe that the DIY um, black market or the, the black market that we would see in place right now, I don't think that the products are dangerous or scary. Um, no. But if you have uh, a half million vapors ordering 100% nicotine from China, in 60 milliliter bottles that are small enough to get through, you know, international shipping without people aren't very cautious and do yeah, not yeah. properly do their math and measurements. No, no, forget measurements. Opening the bottle and sniffing it will kill you. Yeah, sure. This is, yeah. this is like pure nicotine. Yeah, if you spill it on your hand, it's dangerous. Everything yeah. about it is dangerous, and you can order it from China. I can go online right now and find it. Yeah. Um, you know, in small bottles that will never get caught going through customs. Yeah. That's what people will turn to if they can't get regular DIY nicotine. And more importantly, if they can't just get commercial e-liquid through the regular sources. Right. Yeah. They should be able to. Right. Sure. And then. And it's, yeah, and they'll, they'll also kind of, I think too, like a lot of people did get scared of vaping because of how the misinformation came out. So they're yeah. not going to be as likely to, even if it is somebody that's a reputable source to buy anything right. because their, their mind's going to be on, well, I don't want that stuff because that's what kills people. Yeah. 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 And then if, you know, this, this, this all goes through taxes, uh, what happens with, with USPS um, yeah, that's just another, that's just another, uh, you know, nail in the coffin right there, as far as people deciding, you know, that public perception of the risks, that public perception of vaping, okay. when there's this massive new tax lumped on it, you can't get it through the mail or outlawing flavors. Uh, public perception is just trashed at yeah. that point. People yeah. who don't know anything about this are just going to go, oh yeah, that's, you know, that's. That's, that's really going to kill me that's now. That's the worst yeah. thing, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. ever to happen. So, yeah, all of these dangers, all of these things that hurt people, the tax hurts people, that, you know, all of these things are brought about by the government trying to, <laughs> trying to promote a safe, not promote, trying to make the products safe. And, you know, they're doing a bang up job. Yeah. So if we ban it, then it ceases to exist, right? Like that's that's the idea yeah, behind it, which has never worked in the history of ever, never. period. Never. And they're not the even doing that's it. ever like, happened when you ban a product is that you create a, a, more, a more harmful or more risky uh, right. version of that product. And you also create 
a lot of socioeconomic uh, and and social issues that come along with social justice issues. You create, you know, criminals, you create all sorts of things. There's racial um, things that get involved. There's there's a whole mess of things that come with the banning of products. And it's never that the product goes away. No. That's never on the list of things that happens. Do you guys know the story of Paraquat in the 70s? I feel like I've heard it, but I don't know it. Paraquat is a, uh, it's a defoliant. It it kills plants. And um, so they, the U.S. government paid the Mexican government to spray Paraquat on illegal cannabis crops in Mexico. Yeah. Thinking that they would kill all the plants. Well, they did kill all the plants, but what the Mexican farmers did was they harvested harvest, it. They harvested it. Yes, I have heard it and sent it to the United States to be sold. Mm-hmm. And so for like years after that, or at least a few years, a couple of years, you know, everybody wondered if the pot they were buying was, you know, full of paraquat, which is not not safe to smoke sure like a lot of those um um those products that kill plants or kill bugs they're even worse when you combust them sure so yeah anyway so what you're saying is that um the u.s government potentially knowingly poisoned the drug supply yeah and i don't think that's the first time they've done it but yeah no way Shopping. So yeah, I, I, I only bring it up not to put my tinfoil hat on, but, you know, that's something else for people to be on the lookout for. They poison the alcohol. So yeah, I actually, I mean, that's, it. yeah, I don't want to put tinfoil hats on either, Alex, but that's actually a really good uh, thing to kind of keep in the back of your mind yeah. um, going forward with nicotine in the U.S. as to, because the U.S. government does have, in fact, a history of poisoning drug supplies. So... Yeah. Yeah. Well, anybody, anybody who smoked pot in the seventies knows what Paraquat was. Yeah. It was, it was, it was a horrible thing, and also like an everyday joke. Like yeah. you started coughing from smoking a joint, you, you go, "Oh man, that's full of Paraquat." Yeah. And, you know, everybody laughed, but it probably was. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Well, <laughs> glad to say I was born in the nineties, Jim. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's before You're my child. time You're the paraquat was long smoked before i came around that weed was long gone yeah most of that weed wasn't very good anyway but. Yeah. <laughs> so i guess um is that is that kind of do we have any chats uh chat questions uh anything from anybody in chat about mdos and Alex, you look like you've got something right on the tip of your tongue right now as well. Yeah, I feel like I have some questions, and okay. um, specifically for Allie. Um, so since we've got you here, and and in you know on the back end here on our show notes, I had labeled this segment of our deep dive um, as uh, sort of telling the story that the media isn't. Um, and so, um, and again, I understand there's some boundaries as to what you can talk about, but. Um, you know, as FDA is releasing these, you know, putting out their statements about the denial orders and, and um, you know, what, what all is involved, you know, what their review consists of and what they, they concluded, which was that companies were not submitting sufficient evidence to support that 
the benefit to adults outweighs the risk to kids. Um, right. And and you know the story that we've been telling here is that companies really didn't have that chance. Number one, it's unaffordable. You mentioned uh, labs not being available, available. Uh, yeah. and then and then what we're uh, hearing now with the MDOs is that. Um, you guys really weren't given uh, that as as guidance or advice from FDA. So, right. um, you know, for fear of this sort of straying into the whole, um, you know, perhaps there are people out there that may think that, uh, you know, well, the independent vapor industry is getting their just desserts because they're not uh, skilled enough or organized enough to be trusted with distrib- manufacturing and distributing these products. I'm sort of curious. I mean, this was not something that you did in 15 minutes. This is something that (laughs) I assume has taken uh, perhaps a year or more. It should have probably taken multiple years. I mean, you know, you guys had all of these compliance deadlines to meet. And so I've I've sort of imagined this as a conversation between the manufacturer and FDA. How much of that back and forth did you have over what period of time? (laughs) Okay, so, well, we... um... I feel like a lot of the things in our PMTA were were really um, really good because my the owner's brother is a chemist. So when all the new regulations came out at that time, we had actually he gone over with a fine tooth comb. We had made name changes to fit in accordance with what they were asking for, label changes, um, updated SOPs. Everything was very very detailed. Um, so I, I was kind of hopeful. Like I said, I did see some other PMTAs, but we all worked as, as a group. Everything was kind of identical and we felt like we had everything we needed with the exception of the scientific testing, um, you know, which you have to have done in a lab. Um, so that, that when I submitted the PMTAs, there was no deficiencies because a lot of the deficiencies that I saw or that I heard about were names of liquids, you know, the labels being too enticing, well, we had already gone over all of that with that chemist, you know, to make sure that everything was in accordance with what they were asking for when all the rules changed in 2018, I think it was, when, when the warnings had to go on the labels and stuff like 2017. Um, so all of that was revamped. So we didn't have any issues like that. So there was literally no communication. I got one phone call, and that was because we were double registered as two different business names. <laughs> There was the one and then it had transformed to an LLC and they never got rid of the original one. So I had to submit a request and, a, you know, a sign letter that said, yes, we're this entity now solely. All the PMTA submitted is supposed to be for this. Then I received another acceptance letter for all the flavors together because I kind of got a couple for different flavors. And I'm like, why is this all separated on different PMTAs? So I got had them, you know, put them all together. And that was that was it. That was the one and only time I talked to Raquel, who was saved in my phone, because when she called me, I'm like, I'm saving her number. So when she calls again, I recognize her. Um, There was no communication whatsoever at all from them. Nothing. So, I mean, that being the case, I I think I was sort of under the impression. I imagine a lot of other people are under the impression and certainly some businesses out there were under the impression that FDA would be doing things to to help small businesses. I, I don't know the size of your company, but I imagine that you qualify. We have, as a small we have, business. Six, we have 16 locations in South Carolina. Um, we are definitely still quite a small business. Um, and that we did hear that there was going to be a, a clear pathway for us, but I mean, I, there was no communication whatsoever. In fact, the only people I know that did have communication were 
having those issues with deficiency letters. Hmm. I mean, I, I haven't heard of any other, you know, and, and we had to reach out to the Office of Science to make that appointment to, you know, have them talk with our lab guy to make sure that we were doing testing that they approved of, then we could move forward with that. But other than that, there was no communication from the FDA. So the 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 pathway for small businesses uh, didn't happen. The back and forth communication of FDA working uh, with small businesses and manufacturers about PMTAs didn't happen. So what the FDA says in response to that is that we have these webinars for small businesses. Right, right. Yeah. Which are just about the most useless things if you've ever seen one. Right. I, I have seen one. Yeah, have seen, yeah for sure. <laughs> um, because I kind of was, I was the one that was kind of working, you know, doing the PMTAs for the company. So I, I definitely was looking for some sort of guidance. Um, I will say I got a lot more guidance from Char and her group on the PMTA sharing. They were amazing. Um, um, but I think we were all just kind of trying to find our way to make it because it really was unclear, which is shocking that the FDA would give you unclear guidance, but it, it really wasn't clear. Right. And I mean, I mean when, exactly did, when did final guidance come out? Uh, final guidance was released what, after the deadline? Oh, well, yeah. But there, there was but changes. That was yeah. withdrawn. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's so, no final, there is no final guidance. There is no, yeah. 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 Wow. And, and a lot of the stuff that we did have was sales data. So, there is proof that this age group prefers flavors. There is, I mean, that, that's what you're saying, that we can't prove our product, but when we sell right. about 2% of tobacco and all the rest is flavors and you see the age range from, you know, 25 to like 47 is, yeah. is our, you know, who we're serving. I don't understand how that is your reasoning when that was included. Maybe not as in depth as you'd like it, but it was included. <laughs> That's right, and it's yeah. it's product specific too. Yes. So I mean, well, when you're FDA and you can continually change the goalposts, move them no. down the road, and you say, "Well, yeah, we right. told you that that was acceptable, but now well, when you we know, had our we had an inspector come in a couple months after we received our inspections to a couple of our retail locations, not to where we manufacture liquid or did manufacture liquid, and um and the guy had no clue that we even had an acceptance. We had to print it for him so he could add it to his report. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> FDA so really on the ball. <laughs> yeah. I was, they called me because I had it in my email. And I was like, Are, the FDA guy wants the acceptance letter from me to email to him. And he's like, yeah, he doesn't have it. He doesn't even know he got it. <laughs> I got to print did their the own letter. Give him 10 bucks for lunch. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's just been, it's been wild. You would think that these are the people that are supposed to be regulating these industry. And you would think that they would want to help people, you know, be able to find things from a reputable source so they can quit smoking. It's clear that that's not what they're yeah. doing. Yeah. 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 So wow. FDA. I mean, just every time that I think the FDA, uh, you know, can't do a, a worse job at all of this. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I I should just stop being like shocked in any way at this point. It's hard though, because you think I've seen the worst and then you're like, Right, oh. right. I'm always like, well, it can't get any worse than that, right? I talked to various various people in the independent industry over the last couple of years. And a lot of them told me that, oh, the um, 
the people we've dealt with at the FDA during the whole PMTA, our part in the PMTA process, have been friendly and helpful. Yes. And, um, you know, I just kept thinking, man. That's how they get you. <laughs> don't, don't count on that going on forever. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. My rep right. was really, really nice. Really nice. And, and I honestly haven't heard from smile. her at all since all this happened. So I don't know if they just brought yeah. in a new team or I don't know. What well, they hired hired. Yeah, I was just going to say they hired a whole bunch of people. They did hire uh, a lot you know. of people. So somebody uh, in the chat, I, I, I'm sorry. I haven't gone through the chat systematically, but um, somebody asked if any vapor product has passed. PMTA or it has yeah, been IQOS. <laughs> no, nothing has been authorized. Well, the, um, the IQOS, right? Isn't that the only thing that has approval? Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, no e-liquid based vapor product. No, not nothing. Right. Yeah. Um, and another person um, said, "Are there plans for small businesses to move forward other than going to court?" Well, synthetic nicotine. Synthetic. Yeah. Yeah. Black market is another. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's it's. I think one will flow into the other. <laughs> if you switch the eventually you'll go to yeah, the black. It, yeah. So the, the black market, I don't think is ever going to be. There's going to be like two black markets, really. There's going to be the uh, pre-filled disposables, which are really gray market that you see now. Those products are illegal now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're not. Uh, you know, they're not authorized, and most of them didn't submit PMTAs. Right. Well, there's a there's a page on the FDA website where they talk about synthetic um, nicotine and they say that it would be looked at more harshly in a disposable type device. But open systems would be taken on a case by case basis, which I find amusing because the ones that are going to make it through the PMTA process, not that I have any issue with any harm reduction at all, are the ones that youth is ha- is having because they're easy to hide in their bags no one's going to bl- blow a big vape cloud and get away with it in school so you need something discreet but those are the ones that are going to make it and they're banning all the liquid that goes into the open system so i'm not I'm, you know understanding how they're saying that at this time but i'm not betting they, on that either if they wanted to destroy the vape market they should just authorize the the v mod yeah <laughs> <laughs> Nobody in their right mind would buy that. Um, <laughs> problem solved. That contraption, as Gottlieb would refer to it as. <laughs> yeah. So, so to understand the idea of the black market, though, an open system black market is not going to be, well, it might be somewhat like people on the street corner selling stuff. It's mostly going to be the same people who are selling it legally now. Mm-hmm selling it illegally mm-hmm. sure. and just, you know, yeah. I, I, I don't even know if this is related, but I was, I was on the rare occasion that I actually watched the evening news. Now I was watching the CBS evening news last night and, uh, and they had a story about, um, uh, fentanyl in, uh, uh, pills that look like legitimate prescriptions. And apparently this is the new thing. I take it with a grain of salt. I don't, anytime that anybody does fentanyl panic or any of these drug panics, I'm always skeptical, but As you um, should be. The, the, the thing that was sort of remarkable to me was that the person who was talking about, you know, this issue was that 
people are buying. It's it's not out in the open necessarily. I mean, it it is in in, in the real world, but it's the same places where the kids are buying mm -hmm. everything else: Snapchat, Instagram, yeah. Twitter, Facebook. Yeah. Um, and it's and now you know, it, it's just yeah. it's it's it's. I guess what's shocking to me, I'm not shocked by the FDA. I'm not shocked by the media. I'm shocked by us. I'm shocked by the consumers, the news consumers who have heard these things over yeah. and over again. And we still come back to, well, maybe the FDA should be harsher on these companies or drug dealers or whatever. Like, mm -hmm. I, I just don't, I don't know where the breakdown is in pattern recognition amongst the public that we can't just conclude that, you know, you can't keep drugs out of a prison. You can't right. keep drugs out of a high school. I don't care how, how high you build the wall or how right. deep you build the moat, it's coming in. Yeah. And there has to be a different way to do it. I mean, we've been at this. Yeah, how quickly people like real like parents who made these same choices and experimented with things, and they're still here. And you know, you kids want what they can't have. Yeah, they forget so quickly that that's just that's just what kids do, and it's not the right thing, but it's what they're going to do. If you tell them not to use something, they're going to want it. That's why the Dare program failed too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, Dare was a <laughs> miserable failure. There are so many kids at, at that time who. Didn't even know what drugs were. Yes, me. A bear officer and, you know, a police Into officer. Into my elementary in, school. <laughs> you know, came in and told all of these kids, hey, these are all these drugs. This is what they do. They're going to make you feel great. Don't do them. Don't do that. And kids but were here's like, how oh, to use them. <laughs> right. Yeah. Here's how to use them. Don't do it. Yeah. What a great. <laughs> yeah, no. They uh, always our... listen to what you tell them exactly. They don't ever. <laughs> I mean, you can say the same thing, though, for any abstinence-based programming, whether we're yeah. talking about drugs or we're talking about sex or we're talking about whatever. Um, unfortunately, it, ju it just doesn't work. Like the reality of, of any abstinence-based education messaging, uh, it, it just it, it just doesn't work. Um, it would it sure it would be ideal if teenagers <clears throat> weren't going around having you know, wild, unprotected sex and doing drugs and drinking and, mm -hmm. you know, driving or things like that. Like, yeah, that would be great if we lived in a perfect bubble world where nothing bad ever happened. But it's just not reality. Uh, and we like we refuse to accept that, which is mm -hmm. wild. We just persevere with the same yeah. messaging. So it works um, for a small number of people. Yeah. And the people it works for are the same people who grow up to start more programs like that. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. And I'm telling you, this catchy is acronym. There's a tiny number of people that respond to that kind of. But the know, vast majority of people don't. They just. Yeah, I think. Right. That's, you remember right. the sex ed teacher in uh, Mean Girls? If you have sex, you will get chlamydia and you will die. You'll die. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's unfortunately that's the that's the messaging, uh, really that a lot of kids get. And it's one of those situations, you know, in teenagers experiment. So when you teach kids, you know, all drugs, bad, all drugs kill you, you you'll, you know, hallucinate, jump off roofs, things like this, you'll murder your family or whatever. And then kids go out and they experiment, they smoke a joint, something like that. And then nothing bad happens to them. Uh, that, that yeah. questioning of, well, what else have I been taught that's wrong, you oh, know, and, and all of that gets kind of thrown to the wind. At least that's how it worked for me. I had my first joint and I was like, oh, cocaine should be fine. You know, uh, <laughs> meth is a great, a great day. I mean, that's not literally how it happened for me. There's a lot of nuance in that story, but 
you know, uh, when you're taught these things are, are terrible, horrible things and they're going to, to, to destroy your life. And then when you try them and that doesn't happen, all of that messaging breaks down. Uh, the trust breaks down, you begin to question it, and you're more apt or more willing to at least experiment with the other things because that risk, the way that you perceive those risks, you don't have any honest information to fall back on. All you have is the information that you were taught that was clearly a lie that you've already, you know, you've already disproven through your own self-experience was a lie. Um, so, so you kind of just gamble on it from there, or, you know, you proceed to Google things, which is a, often a terrible, <laughs> terrible idea as well. <laughs> yeah, but, but kids are better at Googling things than adults are. I mean, for so, like, I if mean, you were to just I go on Google they're... right now and type in vaping, I mean, you're just going to get a slew of terrible, uh, terrible misinformation, uh, you know, reg or go Google smokeless tobacco. I mean, you're mm -hmm. just going to get again, a slew of horrible, terrible misinformation. Um, so same with, same with fentanyl. You're just going to hear a bunch of stories about cops having panic attacks and overdosing. And, you know, it's just going to be, it's just, it's just not a great way to, uh, to, I mean, unless you're good at actually Googling and using Google scholar and really digging into to actual information. But otherwise, you know, for most people, especially parents, parents are the one I always fall back on, on, parents and not in the sense of like blame the parents parent your children because parenting is hard um Allie's a parent she knows firsthand parenting is not uh not the easiest thing in the world right. and the idea of like blame you know blame the parent parent your kids better parent your kids it's, it's just not the most parents have so many things going on um from day to day when you hear something on the news and a quick snippet about you know 95 percent of kids are shooting fentanyl in the bathroom or smoking it or whatever it's it's you hear these things on the news and a lot of parents don't have the time the resources the the knowledge to actually get real information and that is that is their their lone quick snippet source that they now have to fall back on in order to protect their kids because that's that's parents first and foremost concern is is I have to I have to protect my kids, you know, I have to keep my kids safe. I don't want bad things to happen to my children. And that's the result of that misinformation is like, that's it. That's all you have to fall back on unless you're a parent that has more time. And right. Well, imagine you're also time. a parent that quit smoking. Now I feel super awkward. I don't even take my vape anywhere near the school. Like my son had what he's in the marching band. He had a football game last night. And I'm like, I don't want anyone to see a vape on me. Like, I don't want to be, you know, that person that now looks like a bad influence. But these kids and like, that's, that's were taught in yeah. itself right there. Yeah, we were taught cigarettes were bad. So I remember going home and telling my mom every day she was gonna die because she smoked. So I imagine that happening with these kids being told all these things about vaping in school and going home. And it's like now you're punishing your parent who quit smoking with vaping because you're telling them they're gonna die. Not, we lost <laughs> yeah. Jim somewhere that, that's that yeah we lost jim uh, his internet's been cutting in and out so um hopefully he'll come back back on here but i i was gonna ask I mean, the so in your in your corner of south kakalaka um mm -hmm. what uh what kind of education are are your kids getting about vapes? Well, my son my son knows better because i talked to him about everything like he's an adult i feel like he has the right to know everything he also would never touch anything that's not age appropriate for him because i taught him better than that um, parenting your child is an amazing thing. What actually you can accomplish if you try, um, not just try to ban everything, but 
So my son, Landon, he's 15. He's in marching band. He plays the trumpet. He's fantastic. And um, I went to hit the game last night and I met his new girlfriend and uh, I was giving her a ride home. And so, of course, as soon as I got into the car, I was vaping my face off because I had not vaped the entire game. <laughs> and um, and I and I was like, oh, this is not for you, Lily. Don't ever touch anything like this. <laughs> and um she goes, oh no, I play sports. I, she goes, I need my lungs to be healthy. And it took everything in me to just let that go because I'm like, this is not the time to explain to this child anything at all. Like, But it really kind of shows because they haven't had any distance learning, at least in his school. If they're not even doing that anymore, it's all in person. It has been all year. Um, but I just, it was really hard for me to hear that because you see the information that's being given out right there that, and I'm not going to correct it because I don't want her to ever have the impression for me that I, if she, you know, that she should vape, but I kind of put my vape down and didn't touch it again until I got home. Cause I was like, man, like now I feel awkward. Like <laughs> she probably thinks I'm poisoning myself and I shouldn't feel that way, but you can see what's coming out of the schools. My son doesn't tell me any of it because he knows it gets me really upset. <laughs> But he does know the facts. But I also trust him that he's smart enough to make good choices and know that he should never touch any of my stuff and he never has. I think I'm 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 still fortunate in the sense my my kids are both young still. I have an eleven year old and an eight year old. So they're both still in, in elementary school. Well, my my oldest is now in the middle school here. Um but I, I think we've only gotten one one like snippet bit in a newsletter from the middle school that even mentioned e-cigarettes or vaping. Uh, and it really wasn't, it was just kind of like a, Hey, reminder to parents, this isn't allowed kind of thing. Like, obviously, yeah. you know, thanks school district. Great job. Yeah. Um, but I'm fully anticipating it as they get older and move, you know, more into high school, uh, and things like that. And I'm, I'm, I'm a lot like you, Allie, in, in regards to my kids are very aware of what these products are, who they're intended for, what they do, um, and, and the risks associated <laughs> with them, you know, just because, and, and I'm that way with, with my kids in regards to drugs too, because my, mm-hmm. my kids have both had, um, you know, not like dare officers and things like that, but, but drug conversations, drug, um, right. I don't want to, I, I don't know, criteria criteria or whatever, uh, and and stuff from the schools. Uh, and we have those conversations, you know, and and we're very open and honest and, and, um, obviously my kids, you know, they know better, but my kids are also aware of risks and, uh, safety and things that they can do personally and ways to stay safer and make safer choices. Um, so I think for, for any parents out there, I just, I hope that people are having, I don't want to tell people how to parent your kids. They're your kids. No, no, you I just hope that. that people um, are, are perceptive to those things and, yeah. and having honest conversations with your kids as, as opposed to, you know. Yeah. I mean, I know anything my parents told me was like, like kind of like hands off, you know, I shouldn't be touching. I, that's what I wanted to get my hands on. So I yeah. wanted to make sure that my son is aware because I vape stuff all over my house. I just wanted to know, like, this is not for you. And if you don't ever smoke cigarettes, which I, you never will, you won't ever need to use one of these. Yeah. I, I mean, That's unless we the, we ban these products out of, you know, existence, or which doesn't happen. You can't ban things out of no, existence. No, you can't. <laughs> but, yeah. Anyways. Do we, uh, does anybody else have any, uh, questions today? Questions for Allie or Jim, please. Everybody just ask Jim a whole slew of stuff right now. 
Well, I, I was going to say, Ali, I mean, before we uh, start wrapping things up here, is there anything that we didn't ask that uh, maybe we should have paid more attention to? I don't think so. Not that I can think of right now. I just think the, uh, the, the biggest thing I can leave people with is don't sign anything unless you have a lawyer look it over, please. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, I guess that uh, I guess that's a good spot to wrap things up here. So thank you for I, I do oh. I, before you get to the thank yous in the ending. I, I do. Uh, I, I, I think it's a bit appropriate to end on a on a somber note, if 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 that's OK. Um, not that am that I ever, not somber at the end of these streams, Alex? <laughs> not that that ever you know garners a lot of like, oh, yeah, we should totally be sad. Um, but uh, a. Uh, a long time friend of, I, I will premise this by saying, I just found out about this this week. Um, I'm obviously not as dialed into things as I should be. Um, but uh, in August, a uh, long time friend of the vaping community, long time supporter um, of people who smoke and people in recovery uh, passed away, Father Jack Carney. Um, I, I had the privilege of meeting him once uh, in California at ECC of all places. Um, but, uh, father Jack was, a, a outspoken promoter of, of tobacco harm reduction, uh, and, and, and treating people with substance use disorder with compassion, uh, and supporting them. Um, he ran a program. We've mentioned it a couple times. Uh, it's called Hasir helping addicted smokers in recovery. Um, I, I don't exactly know uh, any details about whether or not that's, uh, ongoing, uh, but there was certainly a time where that program was accepting liquids and devices, and they would give them away for free to people who were in uh, treatment facilities for substance use disorder. Um, of course, juxtapose that with what we've heard stories coming out of Philly, where people uh, have been kicked out of uh, substance use substance use treatment programs because they smoke or not even allowed in it in the first place. Um, uh, Father Jack Kearney was certainly uh, making sure that as people are trying to take care of their substance issues, um, that they would have, uh, you know, nicotine available in a much safer form. Um, so uh, I, and, and of course, some may have seen, I, I, I am privileged, I feel privileged that he tuned into this podcast uh, a, a few times uh, before, before returning home. Uh, and so I just wanted to, you know, acknowledge uh, all the good things that Father Jack has done in this community for this community. A lot of us who probably you know started vaping back in 2013 or earlier, you might may have seen his videos on YouTube explaining why these products are safer uh, and why people who smoke should should switch to them uh, and why, of course, regulation should be appropriate. Um, so I know I'm a, a, a more than a month late on this, but um, I, I'm sorry to hear that Father Jack has passed away, but very grateful that we've had uh, his his support and and influence in this community for so many years. Yeah, he was a good guy. I never uh, had the privilege of of meeting Father Jack, but I do remember him popping into the stream and and Alex specifically, you know, shouting yeah. him out and saying hello and and things like that. So, so. Mm. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Father Jack, for everything you've done. It's just incredible. It's, uh, it's a, often a thankless, thankless position he was in. So, all right, definitely ending on a somber note. I got to try to 
<laughs> Pick my sad. Oh, Incredibly sad. Oh my god. <laughs> so I'm not la- laughter is uh it's my reflex to well it's gratitude. We can we yeah. can all focus on the gratitude, I think. And and we've all, you know, anybody who I think has had a conversation with Father Jack or you know, he, he was he was one of us. All we yeah. want out of this is for people to to have better options. And so we're grateful. Yeah. If that doesn't cheer you up, I, I don't know if I can help you. <laughs> well, it, it does. It cheers me up. Um, but I'm I'm just gonna try to get through this now without. I'm gonna choke up. It's just sad, you know. Would see see people pass uh, who do so much and have given so much. So, all right, everybody. Thank you, uh, everybody, for being here. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you, Jim, for joining us today. We appreciate you taking the time out of your bird watching to uh, to be on the the show with us and and talk about all things vaping. Allie, thank you so much for uh, joining us and sharing your experience with PMTAs and MDOs and uh, this affidavit that's going around that people need to be uh, aware of uh, and not to sign uh, without speaking to a lawyer. Please, people, just don't sign things. Without, don't sign like, it. <laughs> if somebody walks in and is like, you should sign this, don't sign it without talking to a lawyer. That's just a great rule of thumb to, to, to live by. Um, but thank you to everybody out there for tuning in today. Uh, for people uh, who are going to be tuning into the podcast, for podcast listeners, um, the full version will be out uh, on Monday, as well as the shorter, uh, shorthand legislative rundown version for people who just need that legislation uh, and the need to know stuff right out of the gate. Um, Otherwise, I think I think that's going to do it. Please, if you haven't joined CASA yet, please do. Please get that uh, call to action. Keep it circulating. Get that uh, that call to, all the calls to action that we have, but in particular, definitely uh, the nicotine tax CTA that we have out right now. Alex told us earlier uh, we've doubled in engagement uh, in the past what few days. Um, it's it's basically doubled. So let's do that again in the next couple of days. Let's double that again. Uh, so share it on all your social media. Send it to all your friends. Text it out to random phone numbers. I promise it looks like it's helping. Anyways, uh, just get it out there everywhere. Um, and I think that's going to do it for this week. Same time, same place next week, 4.30 p.m. Eastern, 1.30 p.m. over on the West Coast. Anywhere else, you're going to have to do the math yourself. And, uh, and that's going to do it. All right, stay safe, everybody, and we will uh, we'll catch you guys catch you guys next time. Bye.